Welcome back to the weekly Zohar study. My name is Rena Perkel. Today we're going to be learning the Zohar Parsha Bo. I'd like to dedicate this class, Leilu Nishmat, my dad, David Ben Zahara, Mez Neshama, have an aliyah in the merit of our learning. Let's do it kasher to the tzaddikim. We hear it so mifanecha Hashem Elokeinu ve'oheavoteinu in the school of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the Ariyah Kadosh, Rabbeinu Tal Moshe Rabbeinu. We will be able to draw down the chokhmah, the bina, and the dot, the wisdom, understanding, and the consciousness of the teachings of the Holy Zohar, so we can integrate them fully into our lives and be worthy vessels to receive Hashem's great light and blessings. We're learning from verses 213 to 227, and you can follow along in the text provided. In today's discussion, we're going to learn that even though Hashem has no form, he created vessels to express his great light, which are called the Sephira. Verse 213. All animals, which are the holy living creatures, are named after the letters of the holy name. This is the meaning of everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. All the creatures were formed with the letters of Hashem holy, Hashem's holy name. And so there's no creature that is not marked with this name in order to recognize who created it. So the letter Yud, which is uh, from the Hashem's holy name, the Yud and the He and the Vav and the He, is in the shape of the head of every creature. So they're drawing a parallel between the shape of the letter Yud with the shape of, of a head of a, of a human or an animal. Hey, hey, di yukna de hey, it's ba'am de mina vehai desmela. So the, the two hey's uh, from, the te- from the tetragrammaton, the, the yud hey and the vav hey. So those two hey's are the shapes of the five fingers because hey is gematria for five. So they're drawing the parallel between the two hey's to like the two hands that have uh, five fingers each five fingers on the right hand and five on the left hand. So they're trying to connect the dots between the shape and the form of of creatures that are alive and how it's connected to a, an expression of Hashem's holy name. Vav diukna degufa, and vav is the shape of the body. So if you were to visualize it, the yud would be the head, the two arms and the hands with their five, with their 10 fingers, five and five, and then the two legs with their five toes, five and five, is parallel to the yud, the he, and the vav, and the he, and the vav represents sort of like the torso and the, the upper body where all the organs are. Verse 214. This is the reason it says, to whom then will you liken me that I should be his equal, says the Holy One. Let There's no creature that is equal to me. This is like Hashem talking. 
Van Dili. And even though I created it in the form of my letters, I can erase this form and form it again many times. There is no other deity that can erase my form. Therefore it says, for their rock is not as our rock, even our enemies being judges. So this is really exploring the concept that Hashem created through speech, through the holy Hebrew letters, and that even though Hashem expressed his light through the Hebrew letters and through creating physicality, Hashem himself has no form and cannot be manipulated through form. Verse 2.16 Even this image does not belong in the place, but rather only when it descends and spreads to the creatures. So here they're talking about how Malchut is, is a representation of Hashem's divinity here on earth, and that it has a limited amount of expression that it can, it can, it can share. Yitchazun lom then it appears to them, to every individual, according to their vision and, and imagination. And this is when it, why it's written and used, and he used similes by means of the prophets. So here we're learning about an aspect of Hashem's light that gets expressed through the prism of Mahut and influences and spreads over people, they're saying that like um, spiritual illumination is limited, that Hashem is endless light, endless giving, endless wisdom, but that the reciprocal of that wisdom, meaning us, we are, we, our vessels are limited. So each person's capacity dictates how much wisdom or, or spiritual illumination they received based on their vessel, usually connected to Dimyon, which is imagination, and also connected to Chochmah, their, their mental capacity. Verse 2.17. So therefore, the Holy One, Blessed be He, says to them, even though I am like you in your forms, Meaning, meaning in visions and likeness, still in all, to whom then will you liken me that I should be his equal? This is within the context, this is within the context of all the, um, the, the miraculous sort of expressions that happened in the book of Exodus of Shemot, where it says that, I'm just giving, I'm explaining, I'm giving you some commentary to contextualize why they're talking about this right now within this specific Parsha is because there was so much tremendous revelation. It says that all the Jewish people that came out of Mitzrayim and they came out of Egypt, they were, they were all prophesied. Like they were all able to have a revelation of Hashem, everyone at their own level. And so whatever they were able to see or, or whatever they were able to experience was limited. And they're saying that even though they saw something, it was limited in that Hashem is actually beyond form and beyond likeness. Before the Holy One, blessed be He, created an image in the world, and before He formed a likeness or a form, the blessed, the Holy One, blessed be He, was alone in the world without a form or a likeness. For one who conceives Him before this, 
before Bria, before creation, he is without any form. So they're saying you need to understand that this is, um, that there's like different levels of manifestation or revelation of God. And that, um, that the, the true essence of God is beyond form and beyond expression. It's not allowed. It's you, you, you can't make any form or image in the world of Hashem. I mean, that's it's one of the Ten Commandments, actually, that you can't ascribe an image to Hashem. Not with the letter He, which is one of Hashem's names, and not with the letter Yud. Even with Hashem's holy name. And you can't use any of Hashem's holy names or letters or dots. So they're saying, even though Hashem expresses himself through his different names and that the names are are representing spiritual energies or the way that Hashem is manifest, you still can't uh, ascribe to him a specific image. This is why the Torah says, for you saw no manner of form, meaning you did not see anything with a form or likeness. This is re- relating to the Har Sinai uh, revelation, Mount Sinai revelation, where there was a lot of thunder and lightning, and it says that they saw the sounds. Um, and they're reinforcing that even though Hashem revealed himself at that point in time in history more than any other time ever, that at that point they still did not see a form or a likeness. So let's go deep to understand why they're emphasizing this so much and where they're going with this w- with this line of thinking. Okay, verse 218. <laughs> After he made that image of the chariot of supernal man, and he descended and he stayed there. So they're talking regarding the concept of the Merkava. That's related to the vision of Ezekiel when he saw um, the vision of like a man on a throne. So they're they're talking about that that specific prophecy. In him, he is named by the form of the four letters of the Yud and the He and the Vav and the He. So they're saying that the form of man is parallel to the four letters of the Yud and the He and the Vav and the He, as we mentioned earlier on in the text, how they're parallel to different aspects of the body. So now they're saying, they're taking it even further. Now they're saying that it's not only an expression of Hashem's holy name, but that now they're also talking about, so people could grasp Hashem by the way of his, his midot, his attributes, each in each and every attribute. So now they're going to explain the concept of the 10 sefirot. As we know, the 10 sefirot, the first one being Keter, then there's um, Keter is is like connected to, it's like the first one, the first sort of like interface from the supernal to the physical, then the to the to the intellectual, then there's Chochmah Bina, which are the intellectual sefirot, Chochmah Bina Dat, then there's Chesed, Gevura, Tiferet, Netzachod, Yesod. Those are parallel to the six emotional attributes. And then Malchut, which is parallel to the physical world. So they're going to talk now about these ten sefirot and how they came about. Vikara, Kel, Elohim, Shakai, Tzavakot, 
um, Ahia. So they're saying that Hashem's names were an expression of the different attributes that just like each time in the Torah, you see um, different names of Hashem being used, that each time that that specific name is being used, it's, it's supposed to indicate for us a specific aspect of God. So for example, when the when it says Elohim, that's usually the name that's parallel to uh, parallel to judgment to Gevura. And when it says uh the shame the shame of UK it's it's supposed to be um connected to the aspect of um of, of Zeranpin, like each that each name represents a different mida, a different attribute, a different aspect of expression. In order that they can recognize him in each and every attribute. And how he rules the world with chesed, which is kindness, and judgment, which is deen, according to the actions of the people. So they're saying. Hashem, when Hashem's different names are being used, it's to show how Hashem is interacting with the world. If his light had not spread over all the creatures, how would they recognize him and how would this be fulfilled that the whole earth is full of his glory? What they're saying here is they're trying to give us an understanding of why did Hashem express himself or is Hashem expressing himself with the different Midot with the different attributes and the different holy names, because Hashem wants us to to recognize Him and to get close to Him and to know Him. Verse two nineteen. Uh, woe to the person who compares himself, who compares Hashem to any attribute, even to one of His own attributes. And certainly not to humans whose foundation is in the dust, who are perishable world. So they're saying, even though Hashem is using these attributes as a, as a way to for you to get to know him and to understand his ways, the, his attributes are not him. That Hashem is way beyond these midot, these attributes. But they're saying that the likening of the dimyon, the 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 comparisons that we're making here, is only according to his power over that particular aspect, or even according to his domination over all the creatures. So there, it's really just to help us understand Hashem. There's no likening above that attribute. And when his power goes up from that attribute, there is no attribute likeness or fortune. When you go above, when you go beyond the midot, when you go beyond the attributes, there's no way to even understand or grasp like Hashem beyond that. Like Hashem is beyond understanding. So really what what the Zohar is trying to help us understand is now it's going to explain how Hashem's energy flows from him into his attributes, which is the whole the whole point of the sefirah, which we're going to explain now. Verse two twenty. 
Kegavna de Yama, de Led Bemaya, de Yama de Nafkamine, How would they're comparing this? They're giving us an Amashalt. This is like the sea. For the water of the sea that flows from it, from it has no conceivable shape or forms. They're saying this is very much like a sea that has no shape and no form. Ella de Pashtuta de Maya de Yama Almana. So just by the expansion, the expansion of the sea water over the vessel, which is the actual earth, then it gains a form, meaning like it's only within the context of land that the sea has its own shape. So then we can calculate that the source of the sea is one. And a spring emerges from it according to its expansion in a round vessel, which is a yud. So here we see we have two forms. The first form is the source, uh, which is parallel to the sephir of, of Keter. And the second uh, form here is the spring that emerges from that source, which is now the sephir of Chochmah. So they're, they're trying to use the sea analogy as a way to explain how the flow of energy started from Keter and starts to go down through the different sephirot, Keter being the first, and then, and then, the, and then going into Chochmah. Okay, verse 221. Afterwards, he made a large vessel similar to a large excavation, which was filled with the water that flowed from the spring. What was the next sephira that came after Chochmah? So this vessel is called C. This vessel is called C. It is the third vessel. Now we're talking about the Sephira of Bina. And that large vessel divides into seven streams, which, which is referencing the seven lower Sephirot that come out of Bina. Okay, so the water spreads from the sea to the seven streams as into long receptacles. And so there's a source, there's a spring, and then there's a sea and the seven streams, which amount to 10. So the source is Keter, the spring is Chochmah, the sea is Bina, and the seven streams are the seven lower Sephirot, which amounts to 10. So that equals a total of 10 Sephirot. If the Creator will break these vessels that He has made, the water will return to the source and the broken vessels will remain dry without water. So um, so they're saying Hashem is the source of it all. So if Hashem at any point decides that he doesn't want to use the Sephirot anymore, he can right away 
draw back his his light his energy from the sefirot and then the sefirot will have no energy of their own meaning that hashem is the one that sustains and uses the sefirot as his tools in order to manifest and actualize whatever he wants to accomplish in the world but that the sefirot on their own have no energy on their own they're completely reliant and and uh, dependent on hashem as sustaining them Okay, verse 222. So the cause of causes made the 10 sefirot. That means Hashem made the 10 sefirot. And he called Keter the source, and there is no end to the flow of its light. Therefore, he called himself endless. Okay, so now they're talking about the let let mud veteran, he has no likeness or image. The taman let manale mit panes, leminda cloud. There is no vessel there able to conceive him or have any knowledge of him at all. So they're saying that there's uh there's an aspect of, of Hashem that is beyond the Sephirot. Be, uh, the cause of all causes, the ensof, the aspect of Hashem that is beyond expression and, and beyond us being able to engage with him is the ensof. It's, it's outside of the Sephirotic realm. Therefore, in reference to the ensof, it says, do not seek that which is inconceivable to you, nor search that which is hidden from you. Meaning that there's the the true essence of Hashem is unknowable. It's beyond us. We can't even we can't even grasp anything about it. And that that's why the Sephirot were created as a way to sort of like bridge the gap between the finite and the infinite. Okay, verse two two three. Levatar avad mana zeira vada yud. Afterwards, he made of a small vessel that is the yud. Veit malia mine vekale mayan nove chokma. It was filled from the source and he called it a spring welling wisdom. Vekal game bechacham lohu mana karle chokma. He called himself wise in the vessel he called chokma. So now they're, they're repeating again that from the source, which is from the Enso, from the Keter, comes the first sephira of, of Chochmah. And then he made a large vessel called the Sea, and, the, and this is Bina, understanding. And he called himself the understanding one. Verse 2-2-5. Afterwards, and he shall smite it in seven streams. He made seven precious vessels. So we had Chochmah, we had Bina, now we have the seven lower vessels. And now the Zohar is going to outright just spell, basically just spelling out for us what the, the Sephirot are, which obviously is like the foundation of this whole concept um, in future Kabbalistic writings. It stems from here. Okay, so the seven Sephirot, the Zohar is going to name them, the Karalum Gedula. Gedula is another name for chesed. In the Zohar, they call Gedula sometimes, but it's really uh, connected to the sefer of chesed. Gevura, Tiferet, Netzach, Chod, Yesod, and Machut. So there we go. It, it spells it out. He called himself great in greatness and also 
pious, chasid, which we see is connected to chesed. Gibor bagvuran mefuar betiferet. He's um. So they're saying like, why was why did we why is what's the like they're trying to kind of explain to you what each sefer represents. So they're saying chesed is connected to the energy of of greatness. And what's greatness? Greatness is a person who's who does who's pious, who's a chasid, who does chesed. Then Gevura is, is a Gibor, someone who's mighty, represents um, strength or judgment. And the Fuarba Tifera, Tifera represents glory. Maren Natschin Kravin, Netzach is connected to being victorious in battles. Ubehod Karashme Hod Yotzrenu, Hod is connected to majesty. Um, so they're saying Hod is parallel to the majesty of our creator. Ube Yisod Karashmet Tzadik. So Yisod is connected to the energy of being a Tzadik, as we've discussed before. The Yisod Kula Samich Bekol Manin Vecholami. That Yisod supports everything. Um, it's and is the it supports all the vessels in the world. So they're this they're giving us a hint here that Yisod is really the funnel that channels all the upper. Sefirot, and it's like the interface where the spiritual meets the physical, which is then Malchut, Karashme Malach, Melech. So they're saying Malchut, which is connected to king, kingship or kingdom, he called himself he called himself a king. So we we see here that the Zohar is explaining to us in detail the source for the Sefirotic um, tree of life and what it's supposed to represent essentially and how it's contextualized within the bigger understanding of Hashem expressing expressing himself in the world. So this is a verse in Divrei Hayamim. Um, it's actually a blessing that King David was uh, praising Hashem. And it's one of the, the I think, the only sources we have for the Sefirot in Tanakh, uh, preceding Kabbalah, obviously. In Tanakh is when King David references the Sefirot when he's praising Hashem. He says, it's, it's actually part of the davening in Shacharit, we say every morning. So the Zohar is connecting the dots between the source in Tanakh to, to the wisdom here in Kabbalah. We're going to continue a couple more and then we'll we'll dig deep into what, what, what they're saying here. Verse 226. Everything is in his authority, whether to lessen the vessels or to increase or decrease their flow. So basically they're, they're making a point to say Hashem is in charge, that the Sefirot have no authority of their own. Hashem is in charge of the whole system. As his desire with them, he does not have over him a deity to increase or decrease. So they're saying there's no power over Hashem that can determine whether these sefirot can be controlled by anything outside of Hashem. Verse 227. Then he created servants to these vessels. A throne with four pillars and six steps for the throne. Altogether they are ten. Altogether it's called the throne. So they're referencing a divine throne and how there's ten aspects of that throne. 
There's a, another aspect called the cup of blessing to which they ascribe 10 things. Begin Torah de Tiaved Basadibrin, the Torah that has the Ten Commandments. Begin Alma de Huma Seber Sheet Beit Bara Basamarot. And because of the world, which was the work of creation that was created with the ten sayings in Bereshit. So what they're saying is to wrap up this section of the Sephirah, they're trying to draw parallels between the ten supernal Sephirah in the divine realm and how we see parallels of more of like these ten clusters of meaningful things in Torah that come in ten and, and that really those things are extensions or expressions of sefirot within um, all aspects of life. Okay, so let's let's dig deep now and understand what this section is about and how it's relevant to our lives. So obviously, the sefirot are very much at the core of the Kabbalistic system. And we see here a source text. And I think as students of Kabbalah, it's very important to know the original sources for these big concepts and to see where they started, where they stemmed and how they fit into the bigger um, system and the bigger picture of Kabbalah. So I wanted to share a little bit, which is that initially when I learned this concept of the Sefirot, like over 20 years ago, as a, you know, as a kid learning Kabbalah, I was very disturbed by this concept of the Sefirot. I had like a very strong aversion um, to this concept, which was really um, strange because I, I didn't, I, it was hard for me to get my head around it because I had been raised with like such a strong traditional Jewish education that was constantly instilling in us Hashem Echad, God is one. So it was hard for me to just connect to this concept of relating to Hashem from the aspect of the 10 attributes. Because I kept asking myself, like, why 10, not 100? Why would it say just 10? Why 100 and not 1,000? It's like Hashem is, is beyond any type of measure, beyond any description, beyond any limit. So why why just 10? Like I, that really bothered me. So there's a saying actually in today's Zohar, which I really loved. Um, and I think is a very profound teaching and verse as students of Kabbalah for us to connect to. It says, It says, and this is really obviously talking to teaching us about when we're learning about Hashem, don't seek that which is inconceivable to you, nor search that which is hidden from you. So because you'll see that the more you delve deeply into the teachings of Kabbalah, the more you realize there's just so much you can't understand, even more that you'll never actually know. And to be okay with that. So the, te- the, the Zohar is teaching us that Hashem is unknowable, and we need to accept that fact. But Hashem did make the space to allow for some aspects of his being to be understood so we can relate to him. And that's why the Sephirot are very important and very essential in that journey of connecting to Hashem. So this concept of the Sephirot is actually a very unique contribution that Kabbalah made into the big um, lexicon of uh, Torah concepts. It was very innovative, this concept, and it serves as like the foundational principle for the writings of many future Jewish mystics that come after the Zohar, especially most notably the Arya Kadosh, 
who develops the whole intricate system of the divine realm based on the sefirot. Obviously, there is so much to say about the sefirot, and as we'll continue to learn in the Zohar and in its many volumes, it will always contextualize the sefirot when explaining the transfer of energy between the divine realm and the physical realm. And we see that the Sefirot are really the most essential tools that Hashem uses to channel his influence into the world and to rule over it. But from a personal perspective as well, we learn in Kabbalah that the Sefirot are not only Hashem's emanations of expressing himself in the world, but that we also have the Sefirot expressed within ourselves. And this is where we learned this concept of, you know, there's in the Torah, it says man is a tree, which is very appropriate with Tubishvat coming up, that, that there's just like there's a supernal tree of life. This is also mirrored within ourselves. There's the individual tree of life and that um, each person has a sephirotic tree of life that is imprinted on their soul and that these energies are interconnected and are influenced by all aspects of our being, physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional. So as we continue to learn more about the sephirot, we're going to learn how to create balance, how to create harmony, both in ourselves and in the world by connecting to this wisdom.